want you to know I appreciate you so much. My goodness, I appreciate you for being faithful and uh, uh, being faithful even in the midst of this uh, crazy season that we're in. You have been faithful to the Lord and faithful to the house of God and faithful with your giving. And thank you so very, very, very much for being faithful. And so we're going to get right into the word of God. And so if we can just open our ears and our hearts to hear what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. I believe that you can be encouraged and you could be strengthened today as we look at the word of God. And then when, when I'm done, we're going to have a few moments of prayer at the altar. And uh, thank you for being so receptive. And uh, again, we say welcome to all those who are viewing us online. And we encourage you just to open your Bible and get right in and learn and grow and develop together with us. Amen. Are you ready for the word? Amen. And I said, are you ready for the word? Amen. Amen. Today we're going to do part three of the sermon series, Stories of Revival. Everybody say this with me, Stories of Revival. Come on, say it again with me, Stories of Revival. Stories of Revival. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you call, who do you call on when your house needs to be repaired? Huh? David Yates. <laughs> right, David? You call a handyman, right? Who do you call when you're having car problems? Mike Allenball. <laughs> you call a mechanic. Mike, we appreciate you. You do a wonderful job. And David, you do a wonderful job as well. But who do you call on when you need help with school? A tutor, right? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you call on when your life has fallen apart? Who do you call on when your life has fallen apart? God. And you see, church, that's what we call revival. Revival is calling on God. God returning to you and you returning to God. That's what revival is. Revival is simple. You returning to God and God returning to you. I mean, no matter what kind of image that you have of revival or no matter what experience that you may have had in revival, revival is very simple. You returning to God and God returning to you. Do you know that most revivals happened in a time of crisis. Most revivals happened in a time of hardship where God intervened with his people and God became real to those people. God wasn't just a concept. God wasn't just a theory. God wasn't somebody that's unknown and unteachable, uh, uh, untouchable, but God was a living reality that invaded their lives. Most revivals in history and most revivals in the Bible often happened in times of crisis, in times of hardship, in times of difficulty. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be in a revival? Well, that sounds real. I'm a participatory preacher. I said, how many wants to be in a revival in the midst of a pandemic? Yeah. 
Revivals happened in times of crisis. Revivals happened in times of hardship. A crisis is an intense difficulty, an intense danger. It's a, a crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. And that's exactly what happens. God intervenes in those times. Listen to this, church. Most, most of the time, God allows, He creates, and He uses crisis so that He could bring us back to Him and demonstrate that He alone is God. God allows, He creates, He uses crisis so that He, he can bring us back to, uh, back to Him and that He could demonstrate that He alone is God. And today I want to share with you one story from the Bible of revival, of people returning to God in the midst of crisis. And then I want to share with you one story from history of a revival. One Bible story and then one revival story from history. We're going to look at a story in the Bible where people return to God during a time of crisis, during a time of hardship, during a time of trial. You will see some principles in this story where people return to God and God return to them because that's what revival is. It's a familiar story that we've all read before. It's a story found in second Chronicles chapter number 20 verses one through 15. Now I'm not going to read all the verses to you. I'm going to give you the backdrop of what's happening in the story. And then I'm going to read a few verses from the story to demonstrate my points. All right. So we're going to look at a story how a group of people was in crisis and they cried out to God. They returned to God and God returned to them and brought them victory and thus they experienced a revival. The backdrop of this story is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a story that deals with a king. His name is King Jehoshaphat. Everybody say that with me, King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was a godly king, and the Bible says that he was found in a time of crisis, a time of hardship, a time of difficulty. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that nations surrounded Judah. They were coming against Judah. They were surrounding Judah, and their hearts fell because of it. They were fearful because of what they saw. And the Bible says that King Jehoshaphat called a prayer meeting, and he began to pray. And the Bible says that when they begin to pray, the Spirit came and anointed them and gave them a prophetic word. And as a result of that prophetic word, it gave them peace. And then God gave them the victory. And that is the story that we're going to look at this morning. How a nation was in crisis. This king was in crisis to God. He returned to God. His people returned to God. And God brought a big victory. He brought a grand victory. Uh, to these people that day. Uh, several things I want you to see. Now, I'm going to quickly go through these points. They're behind me. If you want to take a picture of them or write them down, that's fine. But I'm going to quickly go through them so that I could have adequate time to also share with you an important story, a revival story that's found in history. So the number one thing that I want you to see in this story that's found in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the several things I want you to see. Number 
one, I want you to see that crisis can make you feel overwhelmed. Anytime that you are in a crisis, it can make you feel overwhelmed. How many could raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I have felt overwhelmed because of crisis in my life before? How many can raise your hand? And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that King Jehoshaphat felt overwhelmed. The Bible says in verse number two, the Bible says in verse number two of that chapter 20, the Bible says, and then some of them came and told Je Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you that is beyond the sea. Do you see that phrase this morning? A great multitude is coming against you that is beyond the sea, beyond the sea. You see, a great multitude is coming against you. How many would raise your hand and say, pastor, that could be overwhelming when a great multitude is coming against me. A great multitude is coming against him. In other words, they were surrounded by the enemy and they were outnumbered by the situation. Sometimes, my friends, we can find ourselves in a crisis where we feel outnumbered. Sometimes we can be in a crisis where we feel like that we are surrounded by negativity, that we are in a crisis, that we are surrounded by a plethora of negative circumstances. I don't know about you, but I can handle negativity. I can handle a negative situation. I can handle difficulty. I can even handle intense pressure. But what gets to me is one difficulty, one right after another, one right after another, one right after another. That's very stressful and very overwhelming. And here King Jehoshaphat was overwhelmed because crisis can make you feel overwhelmed. There was a great multitude that was coming against them. A great multitude that was coming against him. Number two, a crisis can make you feel fearful, can make you fear fearful because the Bible says, the Bible says in verse number three, and King Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord himself. He feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Do you see that phrase? He feared. Now this isn't a holy fear. This isn't a reverence fear to God. This is a fear because of the great multitude. Not only did he fear, but he also set himself to seek the Lord. So not only can a crisis make you feel overwhelmed, but a crisis can also make you feel fearful. How many would raise your hand and say, pastor, I've been fearful before because of the crisis in my life or what's going on. Can I hear an amen? I've been fearful. And he was fearful because of the great multitude that was coming against him. I don't know about you, but if I was the king, over a nation and a great multitude was surrounding me by different nations and they were all coming against me. I'm one nation and several nations are coming against me and I know within myself I don't got good weaponry. I know that I don't got the best. I don't got the best people on my army. I would be fearful as well. And you see, he was fearful because a great multitude was coming against him. Not only can a crisis be overwhelming because a great multitude is coming against you. Not only can a crisis be fearful, but number three, a crisis can make you feel uncertain. It can make you feel uncertain. Just like the day and age that we live in, we can feel uncertain about what the future holds. If you are, if you're not reading the Bible and not keeping up with your daily devotions, you can become fearful. But I'm so glad that my hope and my rest is 
is found in the word of God and the peace and the anchor is found in Jesus alone. Amen. And so here a crisis can make you feel uncertain. I want you to look at the context of this story and I want you to see what King Jehoshaphat said. He was praying and this is what he said in verse number 12 of the same chapter of 20. He said this and I quote, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you notice those two phrases in that passage? He said this, he said, for we have no power against the multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Do you hear the uncertainty that's in the, the king's voice? He said, I don't know what to do. He says, I don't have the power against this great multitude. I don't know what to do. I feel helpless and hopeless. The great multitude is coming against me and I have no power against it. I don't know what to do. You see, my friends, a crisis can make you feel overwhelmed. A crisis can make you feel fearful and a crisis can make you feel uncertain. And I believe that all of us can testify to those things this morning, that if you've ever been in an intense difficulty, if you've ever been in an intense situation, if you've ever been in a situation that you feel pressure and you don't know what to do, crisis can make you feel overwhelmed. It can make you feel fearful and it certainly can make you feel uncertain. But you see, I'm so glad that we don't have to stay in our uncertainty. We don't have to stay fearful and we don't have to stay overwhelmed. There is an answer. There is hope beyond the scope of every human limitation. There's always hope. As long as you got breath this morning, there is hope. I said, as long as you got breath this morning, there is hope. And where the devil wants to put a period, God says, I'm going to take my spiritual eraser and I'm going to put a comma because the story is not over yet. The chapter is not done being written yet. The book is not being done written yet. I don't only, I don't only believe in a God of second chances. I believe in a God of another chance because some of us, including myself, we have worn out the second chances and I'm so glad he's a God of another chance. He's a God of a bright morning. His mercy endures forever. And as long as you got breath this morning, there is hope beyond the scope of human limitations. So even though this king felt, even though this king felt fearful, this king felt uncertain, this king felt overwhelmed, there was an answer. And this was the answer. Number one, this was the answer to the crisis. And my friends, this is the answer to the crisis that we are living in. If we want to experience a return to God and God return to us, which is what I call revival, then these principles are significant in cultivating that return to God. Number one, we must stay in the house of God. I know today, I know today that not only this church, but many churches, attendance is down. I know that, but that shouldn't let you be discouraged. You shouldn't be discouraged because of that. You are here, and that's what matters. Did you hear Did you hear me? You are here. And as long as you're in a crisis, neither if you're in a crisis or not in a crisis, you got to stay in the house of God. 
you got to stay plugged in because that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. The Bible says in verse number five, this was the answer. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and all of Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Now this is a type. This is a typology of the house of God. You know, we, we don't worship in a temple any longer. We worship in a church. We come together once a week to worship. They worship together back then in a temple. They assemble themselves under the leadership of the king, under the, under the priest. They assemble themselves under the leadership of the elders and they worshiped in the temple. And Jehoshaphat stood in the house of the Lord. Listen, when you find yourself in a crisis, it's not a time for you to miss church. It's a time for you to increase your church attendance. I said, when you find yourself in a crisis, when you find yourself in difficulty, it's not the time for you to stay home and wallow in self-pity. You've got to make a decision. If I'm, I can either be pitiful or I can be powerful, but I can't be both. And sometimes you've got to pull yourself up by those old bootstraps and you've got to talk to yourself like David talked to himself. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you can't find nobody to encourage you. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. You've got to talk to yourself and you've got to make a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he, he went to the house of God. You've got to stay in the house of God. You gotta cultivate church attendance. You gotta put that as priority. It's gotta be number one in your life. You gotta cultivate. If you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. You gotta be intentionally going forward. Number two, you gotta realize that heaven is in control. Heaven is in control. Listen to what King Jehoshaphat said. He began to pray. Now his prayer was a, uh, a his prayer was a question form. He was praying, but it was kind of like a question to the Lord. Verse number six, he said this, and he said, "O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? And do not you and and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And your hand in in your hand there is not power and might, so that you are so that no one is able to withstand you. Do you see what King Jehoshaphat said? King Jehoshaphat said, "Are you not a God who rules in heaven? Are you not a God who rules over the nations?" He says, "Nobody can stand before you." I love that scripture. Do you know what King Jehoshaphat was saying? King Jehoshaphat fat was saying this. He says, Lord, I got a big problem. I got a great multitude coming against me. This is a huge problem. This is a political problem. This is a national problem. And I need a God who's big enough to take care of this national problem and this political problem that I find myself in. Let me tell you something. God is a God over every nation. He's the God over every kingdom. He's the God whose eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are perfect and upright before him. He's the God who sets up in heaven and he rules the nations with a scepter. He's the God that sits high and he looks low. He's the God over every continent, over every nation, over every tribe, over every kindred and over every people of the earth. And there is nothing by nothing, nothing, nothing can withstand the Lord. So if you find yourself in a crisis, it's a time to change your direction and look to the hills for which cometh your help because he 
He's not a God of the streets. He's the God of the city. He's the God of the nations. He's the God of the country. He's a big enough God to take care of every situation that you find yourself in. Sometimes we look to God as if God is a God of the streets. You fail to realize he's the God of the nations. He's the God of the countries. He's God of the kingdoms of the world. Isaiah said there's coming a day that God's going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses. And the kingdoms of the world is going to be upon his shoulders. He's going to be called the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the counselor. He's the ruler of the nations, the architect of the ages, the manager of all things. And when you find yourself in a crisis, you got to change your perspective and realize that not only do you got to stay in the house of God, but you got to realize that heaven is in control. Earth does not have the final word. Your crisis does not have the final word. It looks like it has the final word. It looks like your heart is failing you. It looks like people are being fearful and uncertain. It looks like your feelings has the final word. But when you find yourself in a crisis, you got to realize that heaven is in control. Never let your feelings set in judgment of your faith. Never let your feelings set in judgment of your faith. Never deny your feelings. Don't deny the problem. Don't deny the hardship. Don't deny what you're going through. Realize it's there, but also realize that heaven is in control. Never let your feelings set in judgment over your faith. Number three, what do I do in a crisis? How do I return to God? How do I cultivate revival? You got to return back to the scriptures. Look what King Jehoshaphat did. Verse number seven, King Jehoshaphat said this, are you not a God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? You see what King Jehoshaphat is doing? King Jehoshaphat is praying and said, oh God, aren't you not the one who drove out the Canaanites? Aren't you not the God who drove out the parasites? Aren't you not the God who drove out all the ites? Can I hear an amen? You're the God who drove all of them out. I remember what you did for my father Abraham and he was your friend forever. Hallelujah. You see what he was doing? He was referring back to the scriptures and when you find yourself in a crisis, you got to refer yourself back to the scripture. You got to put down the TV remote. You got to put down the Xbox. You got to put down the Facebook. You Come on somebody. You got to put it all down and refer back to the scripture because if you put your nose in the Facebook, come on somebody, then you're going to have crisis in your face. But you got to put your face in the B-I-B-L-E. You got to go back to the Bible. You got to refer back to the Bible. He began to refer back to the Bible and remind God, you're the God who drove out the inhabitants for my father Abraham. You're the God that did it. And if you're the God that did it, then you're the God that can do it now. And I've come all the way from Annie Baxter to let somebody know today that he is still the same yesterday to day and forever. He's the God that changeth not. If he did it then, he can do it now. The same God that rolled up the Red Sea is the same God that can do it for you today. The same God that caused the sun to stand still for Joshua is the same God that can do it for you. The same God that stepped in the fiery furnace is the same God that can do it for you. We serve a God who is able to do far above what we can ask or think. Hallelujah. You got to refer back to the Bible. 
I'm glad now some of you are awake now. You gotta refer back to the Bible. He said, aren't you not the God that did it? You're the God that can do it now. You gotta call on his name. Because King Jehoshaphat kept praying. Verse 9, he kept praying. And look what he said in the prayer. He said, if disaster comes upon us, if a sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, he says, we will stand before this temple in your presence. Did you hear what he said? Even though my life is in distress, I'm not going to forsake the house of God. Boy, I'm going to say that again. Even though my life is in distress, I'm not going to forsake the house of God. And then he says, for your name is in this temple. And cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and say, you know what he did? He said, I'm going to cry out to you, God. I'm going to call to your name. And when you find yourself in a crisis, you've got to call unto his name. You've got to not only call to his name, you've got to admit there's a problem. The Bible says in verse number 10, He's keep on praying. He says, verse number 10, look at what he says. He admitted the problem. He, he, he starts to end the prayer. He ends the prayer. King Jehoshaphat is standing there in the midst of all these people. Nations are coming against him. He's standing there praying. And at the end of the prayer, he says, and now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. You know what he's saying? Lord, now we have a problem. You're the God of the nations. You're the God of the country. You're the God of the kingdoms. I call upon your name. I'm in your house. But now, Lord, I have a problem. Moab is coming against us. You see, in a crisis, you've got to admit there's a problem. You've got to admit the problem. You're not to ignore it. You've got to admit it. You've got to admit the problem. Sometimes, sometimes, my friends, we have Old Testament problems. The Old Testament was written for our New Testament problems. Sometimes New Testament problems are like Old Testament situations. And here he admits there's a problem. And Paul said that everything that was written in the Bible was written for our instruction. So we can learn from this. He admitted the problem, and then guess what he did? He changed his focus. Verse number 12, he changed his focus. You see what happens here? He begins to pray. He says, oh, Lord God, will you not judge him? He says, for we have no power against the great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Uh, can I say that again? But our eyes are on you. I'm going to say it again. But our eyes are on you. He says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this great multitude, but our eyes are on you. And if you're going to make it through a crisis, you've got to change your focus. Isn't that what David said in Psalm 121 verse 1? I will lift up my eyes to the hills for which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow his foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, who he keeps Israel shall neither slumber or sleep. Lastly, he says this. If you're going to return to God in the midst of crisis, 
I want you to see the last thing that happens in the story. He received a rhema word. Now get this. Look what happens here. King Jehoshaphat is praying. He's asking the Lord, Lord, aren't you not the God that can drive out the inhabitants of the nations around us? Did you not do it for my father Abraham? Did you not do it? He's reminding the Lord. He's praying. He says, Lord, I have a problem now. He's admitting the problem. He's in the house of God. He's calling on the name of the Lord. And then at the end, the end of the story, something odd begins to happen. Verse 14, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet. The Bible says when the spirit came upon him, the Bible says in verse number 15 that he went to King Jehoshaphat and the prophet began to prophesy and he begins to look at King Jehoshaphat and says, listen, Judah, and listen to all of Jerusalem. I want you to know something. The prophet is saying to him, he's looking at King Jehoshaphat. He's looking at the children of Judah. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of the great multitude for the battle is not yours. It is God's. Now, did you, did you just see? I'm about to shout. You ready? The spirit and the word was working together in the crisis. The spirit came on the prophet and the prophet went to King Jehoshaphat and said, don't worry about anything because the battle is not yours. It is the Lord. He spoke the word. He not only spoke the word, but the spirit came upon him. Listen, when the word and the spirit is working together in the midst of a crisis, it brings about victory. You see, when you find yourself in a crisis, Sometimes reading the Bible, the Bible is awesome, infallible, indispensable, but it's general principles. And when you find yourself in a crisis, rhema is a specific word for your particular situation and your particular crisis that you find yourself in. Sometimes, you know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell you where to move. It doesn't say you whether you need to live in Galena or Texas. It doesn't say that you need to do this or do that. It's general principles. It doesn't give you specifics about some things. And when you find yourself in a crisis, the Holy Spirit wants to specifically give you a word in your crisis. And what was the word? The word was specifically to King Jehoshaphat. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. Now, I'm not a football fan, but if you know anything about football, you know that when the quarterback receives the ball and the team is coming in to tackle the quarterback, what does the quarterback do? He hands it off to the running back. And the running back takes the ball and he runs down the field. What's really interesting is that the same people that was running after the quarterback is now changing directions and running after the running back because he has the ball. Why are they running after him? Because he has the ball. And that's what happens in the church. We're all running around holding the ball. And you know what we say? This is my ball. I've had it for years. I've been hurt for years. They did it to me for years. I can't let go of the ball. It's my problem. I don't know what to do with the ball. I don't know how to handle the ball. And the Holy Spirit sent me to tell somebody today, you need to hand the ball off to the Lord. Give the ball off. 
Give the ball off to the Lord. Quit running around with the ball. Hand it off to the Lord. For the battle is not the Lord's. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Listen, revival may come suddenly, but revival will never happen unexpectedly or accidentally. Every great revival in history and the Bible, people prayed. They were, there was hunger and holiness and humility. They cultivated the atmosphere. It didn't just happen accidentally. They cultivated it. Somebody was praying. Somebody was plowing the ground. It happened suddenly, but they wasn't surprised by it. And church, we can't be surprised by what God wants to do in and through this church. Let's keep pushing forward. Let's keep believing God. Let's keep sowing seed. Let's keep praying. Because you know what happens? If we will continue to do what God has told us to do, I'm telling you there's going to be a great harvest. There's going to be a great harvest of souls. The windows of heaven is going to be opened over us because that is God's nature and God never lies. How many would say with me, Pastor Josh, I'm with you all the way. I'm going to pray. I'm going to sow. I'm going to believe because I'm anticipating what God wants to do in the future. Maybe somebody could stand to your feet and act like you're happy and say, I'm with you, Pastor. I'm with you. I believe you. I want to go all the way. I want to see what God wants to do.